Hello and welcome to Unframed, conversations about the arts on CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon and streaming live around the world at cfcr.ca. I'm your host, Michael Peterson, here tonight with my co-host Alejandro. Our guests for tonight are artists Laurie Blondeau and Adrian Stinson. Welcome, Laurie. Welcome, Adrian, to Treaty 6 Territory. Um, I'm from Treaty 4. Right, down so in Regina area? Yeah, well, it goes, it's the whole southern Sorry. part of Saskatchewan yes. into a bit of Manitoba, a bit of Alberta. But um, I'm honored to be able to live in Treaty 6 and to acknowledge, you know, the, the people that are from Treaty 6. And I have very dear friends that are from here. And Absolutely. Well, I'm from Treaty 7, southern Alberta, Blackfoot and Cree Territory. <laughs> well, at one time, might have been Blackfoot territory, because <laughs> you know our territories are very organic throughout mm-hmm. history. So uh, it's a, just an honor to be here, and uh, you know, having worked with various uh, tribal groups within Treaty Six, um, I'm always honored. And for the most part, I grew up in Saskatchewan in Treaty Four, Gordons. That's where probably Laura and I first met was when we were like little kids in Labrette, Saskatchewan, <laughs> and then on Gordons. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you again for coming on tonight. Well, thank you guys for having us. I was reading, Laurie, that you were somehow a mentor to Adrian. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship that you both have since the beginning? Very humbling that you're just accepting him under his wing as a collaborator instead of a mentor-prof, hierarchical way. I I just didn't want to do... I I guess that's probably how I am, too, because when you think of tribe, whereas... Aboriginal artists run center without a center and I think when we decided to be that we just wanted to be outside the box and that's sort of my way of thinking is that I think if you're going to learn something or if you want to learn something from somebody and I think James Luna taught me that because I apprenticed with him for three years and he just said I want you to work with me I don't want you to apprentice so I think you know my mentors have taught me how to be and I think it's generous right and it's not about ego and it's not about like I'm gonna mentor you. I think the best way to mentor is by working with somebody on the same, you know, I don't look at it as being on the same playing field or however you want, like him being an emerging artist, me being an established artist. I, I hate those kind of ideas because I think it really can set up, it sets up a, a situation of classism, it sets up a situation of, of ego and it also half of the other girls were non-aboriginal so we um i think that was my first performance art piece and we did it here for aka in 1984 at the quants theater at the university of saskatchewan and aka used to be where the craft council is but upstairs so yeah so that's kind of, I studied theater and then I figured, no, theater's not for me. And then I went into visual arts and did an MFA here at the University of Saskatchewan. I don't have a Bachelor of Fine Arts. I was one of the first students at the University of Saskatchewan to be entered into a master's program uh, without having uh undergrad they based it on my career at that point because I already had a career and I think Maria Campbell might have been the first student to go through that program. And you Adrian? Uh, Well I came to Saskatchewan from the Alberta College of Art and Design as a painter 
and uh, to do my master's at the U of S. And uh, it was there that I started to develop, delve into other practices, and performance was one of them. And uh, that's where I sort of started to come up with my uh, Buffalo Boy uh, persona in performance art, which was based on Buffalo Bill and his Wild West shows. And uh, so that, for me, was um, sort of my foray into sort of the, the Canadian international performance art um, thing. And so uh, basically it was is there that uh, one day um, Laurie Blondeau, uh, on behalf of Tribe, uh, came to do a studio visit. And uh, that's where we first met. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's been a wonderful journey uh, in the sense that uh, when I first met Laurie, uh, the uh, Mendel Art Gallery at the time had a program called Artist by Artist. And it was at the end of my um, uh, studies at the U of S. And I approached uh, Laurie and asked her if she'd be interested in being my mentor. And Lori kind of looked at me and said, no, I'm not going to be your mentor, but I'll collaborate, <laughs> which was, I think, uh, the beginning of our our uh, journey uh, in uh, the performance world. And uh, part of my studies at the U of S was looking at the history of performance art, and part of that history was Laurie Blondeau and the work that she had already previously done. And uh, to me, it was just absolutely fascinating and amazing and sparked my imagination and my, my uh, I hope creativity. And uh, then to meet Laurie and then, uh, and then to collaborate her and, and then to become her friend and, 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 for, and so forth has been really a wonderful experience. Like I was very honored when Adrian asked me to be his mentor and I just, I had a hard time looking at it like that because I, I think with the people I've worked with who are my mentors, they have never treated me like that and I don't know if that's an Indigenous thing, like that might be an Indigenous thing. Can you talk a little bit Adrian and Laurie about your first, those first performances that you did together because they were quite, took uh, Saskatoon uh, by storm. By a storm. <laughs> by well, thunder, by thunder. You were the thunder in the <laughs> well, well, I think it was interesting because at that time, of course, I was looking at Buffalo Bill and his Wild West shows and the spectacle of that. And so I, that's where Buffalo Boy came from. And then I already knew about Laurie's personas, in particular, Belle Sauvage, uh, which had this whole history of uh, being in the first gay Indian rodeos and no, stuff like that. or gay Wild West shows. Show. So, of course, there was automatically a familiar, or, or something that was very familiar. And so in that, you know, we could create our own mythologies and, and such. And so it seemed like a, a really good opportunity. And so in asking that and in creating the uh, show, we decided on uh, Belle Sauvage and Buffalo Boy putting the wild back into the West. And based on that whole history of um, uh, diorama and creating the Wild West diorama and uh, dressing people up and uh, taking part in that, which really reinforced those negative, for the most part, stereotypes of indigenous people or native or Indian. And so for us, it was this really great space to talk back. And both of us have familial history uh, where my grandfather was in the, the rodeo, your grandfather or Lori's grandfather was in the rodeo and Wild, show, Wild West shows. So it was already there. We come by it honestly. And so for us to be able to sort of riff on that history and bring it forward through this performance by getting people to ask them to dress up as Indian or, and stuff like that and pose with us created this highly charged space where people became complicit in that history and that stereotyping and all that sort of stuff, which is our, our, what we did. But it wasn't also giving them the choice of what they were. The costumes we had were kitsch costumes, whether it was Chinese, Mexican, 
you know, ethnic groups. It was all people of color that we had these costumes for. And, and then we had authentic, like Adrian's headdresses. We had authentic costumes that you could put on. And it was amazing to watch the males, the white males really wanted to wear that headdress. <laughs> And sort of the implication, and every time we've done the performance, which we've done it across across Canada, mm-hmm. and we have a huge archive and have worked with one of Canada's best photographers, like Henry Robideau from Vancouver. And um, watching how people were uncomfortable with this idea, because we also made them sign their copyright over to us in order s- that we would have the ability to print these images and we started with polaroid 55 which is when you get the positive and the negative i remember and which you don't get anymore yeah and we would make people also pay five dollars to get their photograph taken with us and that was in in sort of looking at the treaties like as treaty people every year when we go to treaty days we get an rcmp officer handing us a five dollar bill you know that was part of our treaty rights and we do that because we that's the way we acknowledge that our treaty is still valid today and nobody can take that as away from us you know so it was it's interesting to see when you implicate people into those situations of where they oh, they think oh this is art you know like i'm just gonna be cool if i go but people it made people uneasy but then when they became easy with it, people like just wanted to dress up in these crazy outfits and just mixing and not really thinking about what the implication of them participating in this performance really meant on a on an ethic, ethic and ethnic level. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and when you think about it, too, that we were at the vanguard of the whole movement of uh, dressing up as Indian, wearing the headdress and stuff like that, that's very sort of popular now in the sense of being people being called out for it and, and being people being non-Indigenous people in particular being chastised for it. And it's very interesting, you know, because if when we think back, like we did that way back in 2005. And, um, you know, before that, you never really heard in, anything much about that. And then it was really interesting and in a way satisfying to sort of see this movement growing that's saying hey look everybody you know you can't just do this without thinking about what you're doing and so I hope to in a way I sort of hope that we were sort of part of that history of of bringing that to people's attention but it's we we did our last show well we said it was our last show in 2010 at um, Close Encounters which was at Plugin Art Gallery and we said this is our last time we're doing it because you know Polaroid shut down so 55 the 55 Polaroid there was no longer that and then we had to do digital and doing digital meant somebody sitting at a printer importing the pictures and then printing them out for everybody and it just kind of lost its essence because you know we set up a diorama that's kind of like you know you're going to the exhibition you're going to put on period costume costumes and get your picture taken that's kind of what we base the whole idea on and and you know it's that whole instancy with polaroid where with digital it just doesn't have that same sense and also when we use the polaroid you would have to pose for 15 seconds like you couldn't move and it would be funny because we would have people that would really be moving like really into their costumes like no you have to stay still you have to stay still 
And so we actually, this past summer, were invited by the AGO and Wanda Nanabush to do the perform, remount it. And it was a huge decision because we didn't want to. And then we thought it might be kind of interesting doing this at the AGO in on July 2nd. Yeah. We did it. And so we did. And we had, because um, when Adrian was the artist, the war artist pro, in the war artist program, he came back with, you know, Sikh. Or yeah, or, or Arabic, 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 yeah, outfits, outfits and stuff. And we had that outfit there. Nobody would put it on. The only person that put it on was probably the only somebody from Arabic, of Arabic descent. <laughs> but nobody would touch it. So it was interesting to see how people react to the costumes within that. But way. they still dressed up as Indian. Yeah, they still dressed up in Indian and put on the little fake headdresses. And so we're not at the end of that by any means. Yeah. <laughs> so I have two questions uh, to you, and one of them is: I know you go through a lot of research to do to do your performance. It's a very physical at times. I know that uh, Adrian has been in Burning Man and and has been almost passing out, praying in the sand, <laughs> hot sun for for hours and with burns everywhere. And then I know uh, you also have been very physical in your performances that you just cut your hair or just do uh, spend hours in public or audience or colleagues doing this performance. That's the first question. How much uh, you spend time in this research and how much of your real persona, Lori and Adrian, is in these performances? I always think that none of me is. But, you know, like we all create from the same place and that you know, of course, your individual self is always going to influence that, you know, and I try, it's funny, because I really try not to watch the news, but I'm such a news junkie that I watch the news and that, you know, like today, watching, watching Prime Minister Trudeau address the Assembly of First Nations, of course, that's going to affect me because I'm an Indigenous person. And to feel the way I feel today compared to the way I felt prior to October 17th. 17th. It, and being an indigenous person, being an indigenous woman is completely different. I feel a bit safer. I think it's still a shame that six point, I and my daughters have 6.4 of more of a chance of going missing or murdered. But things like that, like, so I think when you make art, it comes from where you're positioned in the world. And some of us are positioned in a, sometimes could be looked at as a really crappy spot, you know. But it doesn't mean we give up or it doesn't mean that we, you know, we're all Debbie Downers. But, you know, of <laughs> course, that's going to affect. So in that way, I guess my persona, my personal being showing up in it, like, how can it not? It's my art. You've been a surfer. You've been a, been a savage. I've been a savage. <laughs> you've been a squaw. I've been a squaw and I've been a cowgirl. Oh, yes. <laughs> An Indian 
cowgirl. And for you, Adrian? Well, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those things I, I think about is that, you know, my, my personal experience cannot help but inform my art practice. And I think a lot of times in terms of research, especially the Harper years, thank goodness we're over those. And, well, maybe we're not because he's still around. But, um, you know, it, it, what a time of, of being such a passionate time and looking at the issues and being, uh, being highly alarmed uh, to where this country could possibly go. And so all that, you know, news and all that information can't help but affect you. Like, you know, talk about being depressed. Talk about being angry. Talk about being, feeling unsafe. I had never felt more unsafe in my entire life uh, when the conservative government was there. And that's not to say that racism still does exists in this country. It does. You better believe it oh, exists. It's alive and well it hasn't in gone away. Province. And so how do we how do we combat that? How do we come back from a place uh, of where indigenous people come from, which is you know incredibly compassionate, incredibly giving, you know, incredibly com- empathetic and stuff like that. So it's like how, how how do you how do you create a space within society? And combat that. And so, of course, the art practice is that. So there comes in Buffalo Boy, you know, and does all these different things, sings the colonial blues, you know, does all these sort of things because, you know, it's a reflection of our times. It's a reflection of our experience. So I think it's so important that all of that does play a part within the performance genre. And, you know, those those performances of extre- extreme uh, uh, endurance for the body and stuff like that is, in, in essence, a sacrifice on behalf of the community, which is not so dissimilar from indigenous indigenous practice, whether that's cultural or protocol or whatever like that. So I think it's one of those things that I think it's very important that your your experience informs your practice. And so I, I, I that's where sort of where I see the, the amalgamation of the personal and the uh, professional. And you also have resurrected and, and <laughs> some of your characters or personas like Buffalo Boy died and he was reborn and same with uh, Belle Savage. No, um, Betty she was kidnapped. Who, oh, Be- is, Betty who is the Cosmo Squaw um, in which I think I performed her for the last time. She was sort of invented and made her debut in 1995 so it's pretty old <laughs> um timeless we did a she is show timeless, yeah. yeah we did a show together in uh in lethbridge at the southern alberta art gallery in may two years ago mm-hmm. two mays ago and that was my last performance of her i did and she's gone missing so we don't know where she is and the piece was called Betty Daybird looking for a mister and a good bar. Which was based on the old uh, Diane Keaton film, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, which is a very highly uh, misogynistic film in the sense of women finding their sexuality and then being murdered because of they, they, find, they, they find their sexuality. And you know? came out in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And we had both sort of like, we were thinking about what we wanted to do. And I said, have you ever watched Looking for Mr. Gar- Goodbar? Yeah, and I said that film just like affected me so much back in the '70s, and it just well, well, me too because the way I felt because I ne- and I still don't consider myself a feminist, but 
if I was a feminist, that film just changed my world. Yeah, and well, the other aspect of the two, the protagonist or the murderer, was actually a a, a, um, a gay man who was uh, um, repressing his feelings. And so again, this other sort of meme of like the crazy gay man who's going to kill the woman. You know, it's like it's it was so full of like these crazy sort of ideas. And killing a woman that is uh, looking for her sexuality—that's <laughs> very misogynistic, exactly. as you say. Yeah. It's just crazy. And also, you did a performance of Canadian Idol No More. Yeah. And you have some candidates that people nominated. It was a very we, collaborative process yeah. where people nominate and very fun, mm-hmm. uh, but also very charged with political content. Do you want to talk a little bit about that project? Yeah, because so it was very fun on Facebook and that platform supported a lot. Yeah. Yes. So we were invited by the curator, Josie Mills, who runs the art gallery at the University of Lethbridge. And she invited us to the show and it was Social justice, social justice, yeah, and something changed. Comple- uh, Complex changes, change and social, ju- social, justice. social justice, and so she invited us. So we started thinking about that idea, right? Like, what can we do? And I was, I was going to school at the time, and one of my professors said to me, "Oh, you guys should." I was telling him what we were thinking of doing, which was to nominate and judge. Canada's biggest racists. <laughs> yeah. And so he said, you, you guys should call it Canadian Idol No More. And I said, can I, can I, and he's, he's an English prof at the U of S. His name's Len Finley. And uh, he, I said, can I use that? Can I steal that? And he goes, no, it's yours. You're not stealing it. You can just use it. And so then we fashioned our whole performance after the judicial system yeah. and after all the, Idol, no, idol, can, Canadian, Canadian idol, idol you, you know, U.S. Uh, so, American idol, idol, that whole name. So we did all this research around those idol shows, and there's like tens of them, like all over the world. Singapore like, idol, yeah, <laughs> Brazil idol. idol, like the, they have them in every country. And so then we thought, well, how are we going to get our nomination going? So we said Facebook, right? Like it's a great platform. So we created a Facebook event. Well event page Page. that asked we asked people to nominate who they thought was their biggest racist so who were the candidates who were the nominees we had 10 candidates well we had we boiled it down to 10 because we had actually probably 30 some different nominees and so we had to sort of boil it down who was nominated the most and we came up with a list of 10 so we counted everybody who like how many likes like it was it was a lot of work yeah and both (laughs) living and dead from sir john a Macdonald to duncan campbell scott right down to the 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 current sort of people like ezra Ezra levant and brazo who at that time was so like the harper's puppet now that we all know what happened there uh, right down to Stephen Harper herself. Oh, uh, Kelly Block, our like our our MP who brought in the the uh, tra- Aboriginal Accountability mm-hmm. Act. Well, hello, you know, you take a look at the the conservatives and the lack of total accountability they had, and still do, and still won't face up to that. She got in again. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. But so then, who was the winner? Well, we in the end. So then we we set up the show. It was like a performance, and we set it up like a courtroom, and we were judges, and we with had white wigs, yeah. white wigs, yes. like the old and English, red gavels, and red gavels, and so the performance was packed in the gallery, and so we presented our case because it was going to be done by judge and 
the audience was our jury. So we presented each candidate, each candidate who was being accused of being the of Canada's most racist person. And we put together little video um, montages that we pulled from the internet of these people acting very racist. And you can find it out there. And we didn't edit very much of it. Yeah. And so we presented. And then we also had court protocol. We looked up what the, you know, the court protocol is for provincial courts. And so uh, we had... Um, in our pro court protocol was a bit different. We added new stuff to it. So anyway, at the end, the audience. So we presented all the all the, all the accused, and then the audience. We gave them ballots, and they got to vote. So then we took a break during our performance and went back and counted, and then we came out. And we announced that uh, the most racist person in Canada was, in fact, Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And so then part of that was saying that the sentencing would occur October 17th, 2015. And, and he was proven guilty. Yes. <laughs> and it's interesting because we just had the material culture for that performance was just uh, came down. It was at the University of Toronto at one of their galleries. And they just did the material culture, but we changed part of what our proto our court protocol was, so you could wear feathered headdresses and, and burkas, and burkas <laughs> in the courtroom. So there's some cynicism in your work, and a lot of humor. Oh yes, well you have to, you know, as we all as we well know, one way to get people to listen sometimes is through the use of humor. Uh, you got to make you got to tickle them first, and then punch them. <laughs> good way, good way. And we just came back. And from that's not S&M. <laughs> <laughs> we just came back from a conference um, that was held in Santa Fe at the Institute of the American Indian Art Art Museum. And it was a performance on indigenous performance art. And so it was interesting because the panel we were on was, uh, we were on the same panel because people seem to think that word like this, this. Twins, twins. <laughs> yes. conjoint the twins. <laughs> There's twins. another performance, <laughs> and that um, so it was about around body, and we talked about, you know, like I really want to talk about sort of the brown body within, you know, and I'm not saying all indigenous people are brown. Yes, we're because not. I am. Yeah, yeah, you're brown and I'm brown, <laughs> but you know, because we're brown, automatically we our bodies get labeled, get labeled, like what are they you know and if people recognize me as indigenous right away i am political being born indigenous i am political i have no yeah. choice so do you think that the same happens in a aboriginal person or indigenous person that their skin is white no because you can pass so you mm -hmm. don't like i would have to say every day of my life when i walk down the street i know that there's somebody that just looks at me and just thinks i hate her mm -hmm. and i think growing up in saskatchewan i just learned to cope and i've been taught by my parents how to cope with racism which is you know you just kind of you have to cope with it because if you absorb it Like I probably would have killed myself when I was 13 and I didn't mm -hmm. and I won't today because even today being a professional working in the art world, I am faced with racism. Mm -hmm. Well, you, you look at the racism that's come up since Paris and what happened in Paris and some of like my th 29 year old daughter just had to, you know, get off of Facebook because she couldn't believe she goes, I can't believe how many racist friends I have because she can pass and she goes people are surprised when I tell them I'm Aboriginal. 
Please conclude the part one of your program with Lori Blondeau and Adrian Stimson. Please keep tuned CFCR 90.5 next Thursday to the next part of the interview with our guest artist. This is Alejandro, your host for tonight, and Michael Peterson in CFCR.ca. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and also look for our page in iTunes on Frame Radio. Have a great evening and see you next week.